All right, the journey of truth. We've been on this, and, and I've been kind of hanging out in James 4, and I'm still there today because there's truth in that, in those verses there, which there is throughout the Bible, obviously, but there's something that just kind of keeps hanging me up, like we can't get past this. We need to really bore down and get the goody out of it as best we can. And so it says, Are, do you think the scripture says without reason that he is jealously longing or longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Now, some define here, definition here. One, if you're here, I do hope that you truly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay? You got to have a place to start from. And for us here at CFM, knowing that the word of God is truly the inspired word, his inspired word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, how that works out every day in our lives is a whole nother thing because we're allowing the Holy Spirit prayerfully to have the freedom to take this word and implement it in our lives. But also the fact that if you don't read it, you won't know it. I don't know how to make it any plainer than that. If you don't read it, you won't know it. It's really that simple. And here's the other thing that you can get. Everything you face, I don't care what it is, everything you face, there's an answer from God for you in here. Now, that doesn't mean that every situation you face, there's going to be a chapter and a verse you can reference to and say, that's it. But there are principles laid out throughout the scripture, even in the stories that are related to us throughout the Bible that help us understand this is how life is to be as we're living the life that God created for us to live. So as we look at this verse, one, to know the word and to know that God is jealously longing for the spirit he caused to dwell in us. So here's here's something I hope you all have, we all have in us a human spirit. And that human spirit, as you study the scripture, derived from God. In other words, God put his spirit in us at conception, that spirit in us at conception, which is known throughout the scripture as our human spirit. And then that, ex- that spirit expresses itself in life as prayerfully as surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. And God is not jealous like you and I. You know, people get jealous. Well, you know, the way she looked at him or whatever, you know, this is not, this is not God jealousy. This, I mean, that's not God jealousy. This is God jealousy where he says, I created you. I long for you. I want you. What he did throughout the scripture was he was restoring us, all of us, through his son coming and giving his life to the very place that Adam and Eve had at creation. And he wants us in that place. And so he is doing all the work necessary for that to be the case. And it says, and all this is about grace. And remember last week I talked about grace and the best way to describe grace, the basic definition is simply unmerited favor. We're getting something from God that we truly do not deserve. He gives it to us so freely. But Luke 15, when the prodigal son comes to his senses as it was, 
and decides to go back to his father. And there, as he is coming home, his father is out on the road with his arms open to receive his prodigal son back into his life, back into the family. That is the picture of grace that we all have and should have in our minds. Now, that doesn't mean... I need to go down the road and do something stupid so I can come back and the Father welcome me. That's not the whole plan. The plan is that what the the Father loves us so desperately and gives to us so freely and so abundantly that when we understand that and walk that out and live that, it is amazing how that life is to be. So that grace that he gives is truly amazing grace. In fact... When I die, and so you'll know it's not next week. When I die, that's what I want sung at my funeral, Amazing Grace. Why? Because I know that my life is a result of His amazing grace. Without it, I would be absolutely nothing. So I praise Him for His grace, His amazing grace. That's why the Scripture says, see, we're still the Scripture Take the time to get to know the Word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it. That's why the Scripture says, good, ah, good. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So I'm looking for a better definition of humility. And I came up with this one. Here's what it says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Is thinking of yourself less. All right. Three people got that. Let me run that by you again. Okay. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. We spend a whole lot of time thinking about us. What we want, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. It's about us. Back to, let me go back, that jealous God. He wants us to worship him because he is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. But if we're spending all of our time about us and on us and what we are and what we like and all the stuff about us, we're truly, if we think about it, worshipping ourselves and not worshipping him. So he gives grace. And he shows favor to those of us who humbly submit ourselves to him. Submit yourself, therefore, it says to God. Resist the devil. Now, the fact that the enemy is attacking us, he's trying to what? Gain an advantage. We're going to spell that out for you in just a moment. He's trying to get a place in us. But when we do it God's way, he will flee from us. Now, that being said... We're told to come near to God. Does everybody in here understand what that is? Come near to God. That means we have to be very intentional about spending time with our God. We're all very busy. Everybody knows that. We're, we're in a culture today where nothing seems to slow down. And yet... <laughs> Our wonderful, loving Father, who is jealous of us, truly loving Him and spending time with Him, He says, I want you to come near. I want you to wash your hands. I want you to admit, admit 
confess that what things in your life are not of me reveals our hearts of sin and purify your hearts and quit being double-minded. By the way, do you know what double-minded means in a basic understanding? It means insanity. Don't be double-minded. Have you ever found yourself double-minded where you're thinking this way? You know, you, you go, oh, you know, what's going to happen? What's going what's to be? Come to him, submit yourself to him, resist the enemy, and you'll be amazed at how your mind solidifies on the truth and things of God. Now, he goes on and says, grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and then he'll lift you up. So what he's saying is, we confess, we repent. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he will lift us up in his way, in his time, for his glory. Now, this may not be, what do I want to say, uh, for some of you, the most appealing picture of you. But for our illustration today, this is a picture of every person who knows Jesus Christ. Because when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is a done deal. He has given us everything for life and godliness. In fact, Paul says we are new creatures. We've been recreated, as it were, and this new life that we have says, All things are passed away and all things become new. And so this picture used in this diagram is just a picture of us when we're truly coming into Christ and all the fullness of God, all the grace of God, all the attributes of God are manifested in me and in you, every child of God. Everybody got that? Nice. Man, this is slow, slow, slow. Okay. Let's just talk about me. And not so we can worship me, but this. I know, for me, this is what my life is supposed to be because I've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this diagram uh, came from a, a guy years ago by the name of Manly Beasley. And I've just adopted it for our message today. But that's my life. And so I get up every day, every day in Christ, excited about what God has for me, his plans for me. You say, wait a minute, every day can bring all sorts of stuff. And you're right, it can. It can bring good news and bad news. It can bring triumph and tragedy. Every day has the potential for doing that. But for me to know and for you to know, all of us to know who are in Christ, that our life is complete and perfect and fulfilled in God, through Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. But then there's this. Hmm. Several places in the Bible, it says that if we surrender areas of our life, then what we have done is we have allowed the enemy an advantage. So this little niche here in all the perfection of God is us allowing the enemy to have a place. Let me list some of the things 
in the Bible that can be like that. It can be anger. It can be anxiety. It can be fear. It can be unforgiveness of others or unforgiveness of ourselves. So let me take one of those for illustration today. Fear. Now, fear has different understandings. First of all, there's a healthy, proper fear. The fear of God. Most of us don't know a whole lot about the fear of God. It's not talked talked about a lot, the fear of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I walk around, you know, cowering, thinking he's just waiting for a chance to whop me. But it means that I am so truly in understanding of who he is as my heavenly father that I am standing in absolute amazement and in awe of him and in reverence of him for all that he is and all that he does and how amazed I am that he is such a, an incredible, incredible, incredible God who created all the universe. And in fact, based on what we know today, he's continuing to create universes that we don't even know about because that's our God. But at the same time, we also know he can be one who brings judgment and deals with us when we're not willing to deal with ourselves because he so desperately wants us to truly be as this diagram says here, where we're just whole in him, we're full of him, all of it is him. But instead, so many times we have something like this. And so fear the other way is something that causes great pain and distress in my life. Now the Bible says God does not give us a spirit of fear, but instead power, love, and a sound mind. Back to the sound mind. Not a double mind, but a sound mind. All of this is God working. Now, let's see if we can get a a real specific application. And for my application, I want you to know, I'm talking to married folks, okay? So in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, beginning in verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, see, when I read that, it's not like a, oh, fear, oh, oh Jesus is going to get me. It's like, in the fear of Christ, is mean I'm coming to a place where he so loves me, he so cares for me, he so protects me, much like the songs we just sang, where his faithfulness is so real that it absolutely allows me to know that my life is an amazing work of God. And how he's doing that in my life is incredible every day, regardless of what I face. Because I will face difficulty, I will face trials, but I will face joys and elation as well. But it says, it's talking about couples now. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then it says in verse 22, wives... Be subject to your own husbands as in the Lord. Now, I'm not sure how many of you ever watched the America's Funniest Videos where they had a couple getting married. And apparently the pastor had not prepared the couple for the wedding vows and the scripture he was going to use. And so when he gets to this portion of the scripture and he says, and he's asking the wife to repeat after him, she gets to this and she goes, 
And he repeats it about three times. And she goes. Now, that's because somebody didn't do their work and should have prepared the couple for what that really is. And by the way, so you ladies will know, I took the time to go back to the original language to determine what this means. And you know what it means? Exactly what it says right here. Now, but that's not all the scripture says. And you'll see why I'm using it in just a bit. Be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Remember, we're both in subjection to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, do not be elbowing your wives. We're getting to you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, let me ask a very general question. And no, I'm not gender bias. I'm trying to get to a point. How many things that happen in a woman's life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, are the result of fear? Not fear of God, but fear. So in my search to find out about fear... Those who are in grace marriage in our class yesterday can't answer this. But do do you know that there is a fear listed for every state in the union? That every state in the union has a primary fear that people are afraid of. So, with the exemption of our class, mine and Donnie's class yesterday for grace marriage, what is the number one fear in the state of South Carolina? What is it? Hold that thought. That's not it. Number one fear. State of South Carolina. That's it. Spiders. What'd she say? Oh. (laughs) Sorry. Well, we... That's a message for another day. Okay. <laughs> I thought I heard because I'm, I'm already listening for my answer. And the answer is spiders. Okay. But the number one fear overall is what Butch said, the fear of failure. Now, all that really means is we're afraid of other people, of what they will think of us or whatever that case may be. But every state, literally, and, you know, I told, like I told the group yesterday, survey says, I don't know who did the survey. I don't know how they came to those conclusions. I'm not afraid of a spider. Now, he won't live long in my presence, but I'm not afraid of a spider, okay? So, there is fear throughout. But think about it again. 
And again, I'm trying not to be gender prejudiced. This is not my point, except to understand what the Scripture is trying to say to us. How many things in a woman's life is a result of fear? In fact, you can go to any research about medical conditions, and you will find that anxiety and stress and fear are contributing factors to health issues. There's all sorts of health issues that, are occur, that occur in our lives today because of fear. All right? But here's, here's the kicker, at least I think for us. And I'm talking to us as believers. If you're here today and you're not a believer, the principles still work, but you really need Jesus to make it work for you. So, in 1 John 4, 18, it says this. There is no fear in love. Everybody got that? There's no fear in love. What did it say back in Ephesians? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So if we as husbands are loving our wives as Christ loved the church, how much will be eliminated from their lives as a result of fear. A bunch. And I have done counseling for way too many years, so let me just pause here and say to you, wives, if you're waiting on him to love you so you will submit to him, husbands, if you're waiting on her to submit to you before you love it's the chicken and the egg, okay? Just do it. Whichever one you are. Now, I am prejudiced on this point. I think the guys should do it first. I would that, they, that we all would, but we don't all do that. And we don't all do it as well. We've been married, she and I, for a very long time. And I'm still having to learn and grow in this area of me loving her as Christ loved the church. For example, I like to watch programs on TV. We don't have cable or satellite or anything like that, but we watch stuff on uh, stream streaming. And I like to watch the old detective shows. I just do. I like to solve them in my mind, you know. And after I watch them the third time, I pretty well have figured it out. <laughs> but... If we're watching it together, she is fine with the part of, you know, the, the um, investigation and all the stuff that relates to that. But when it gets gory, she's like, you know. And so just to show you that I can still grow up and mature, I've now gotten to that place where if we get to a place in a program like that, I can change the channel. You say, well... What's up with that? Well, used to, I couldn't because I wanted to see the end of the program. And now it's, you know what? So what? It's a TV program. Hopefully nobody really died. It was based on a true story. And my life is not the worst because I don't know exactly how that program ended. Because I love her more than I love any TV program. Now, again, you have to understand, that's a progression of growth for Steve that had to happen in my life, where I truly am more and more in love with my wife so that I will make the sacrifices. When it says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for the church? He gave his life. Well, 
nobody's coming in my house threatening to kill my wife. And so I'm not having to give my life in that sense. But every day in those small things, I can give my life because what difference does it make anyway as long as she knows that I love her above everything else? And I do. And I'm working on proving that. But again, it's a work in progress. So here's what happens. Once we open a little niche, fear, take the time, if you would please, to study the scripture. Do you know that it says over 300 times, fear not? Wonder why that is. Because apparently, we fear a lot of stuff a lot of times. And the God who made us knows that. So in his word, in different situations, different scenarios, he says, fear not. But once we open that, once we give that little advantage, that's what it says in Ephesians 4. Do not give him an advantage. An advantage is him getting a toehold. Now listen, if you know Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ and he is your Savior and he is your Lord, that's our life. However, if we have allowed something, unresolved anger, unforgiveness, fear, whatever, in our life, and we have not been willing to do what James says, where we wash our hands, we cleanse our hearts, we make it right before God, we have left an opening for the enemy to attack our lives. And here's what he does. He cannot own us. We belong to God. We have been bought with the per the purchase price of the blood of Jesus Christ. But what he can do is set up his little radio broadcast and harass the absolute living daylights out of us. And that's why it says, don't be double-minded. Because that is coming at us and is coming at us. And all those negative thoughts and all those negative things and all those things that can somehow hurt somebody else or hurt us because we have not handled them properly. And all this really is about us growing up. All this is about us making the proper choices because if we don't, we can live the rest of our life being harassed by the enemy. All he has to do is get a toehold. Because I deal with people all the time who think that somehow they are special. And because they're special, and we're all special to God, but somehow in their specialty before God, it's okay for them to hold unforgiveness. It's okay for them to have fear in certain areas. It's okay for them to be fretful and anxious about things that we're supposed to be living by faith. I mean, how many of us truly get up every morning and say, God... It's your day. And through that day, you get a phone call of calamity somewhere in your family, your life. Maybe, in particular in our world today, it's somebody who's sick and somebody who's very, very sick. And how are we going to handle that? And we can either set and fret, or we can absolutely come before God and do the work and grace that he gives to us to do so through his word of confessing and repenting. You say, well, wait a minute. Is it, is it really a sin? No, every temptation is not a sin. Please know that. 
Every temptation is not a sin. We can withstand the temptation. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will, with the temptation, provide a way to escape that you can bear it. Don't think you got a cave because it comes. You don't. We need to all be so in the word of God, so walking out this truth that God has for us, that we can know, as it says in John 8, 31, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Free from what? Free from all the junk, all the crud. Our world is filled with it. And by the way, since it was brought up and not by me, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It matters, okay. But from our perspective as Christians, we're still going to live our life to honor him. We're going to live our life in the fullness of Christ. And we're going to absolutely demonstrate in our life how the things of God are to be revealed every day. That's why Jesus said, In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that you are, listen carefully, you are to pray for those who oppose you. How you doing? Are you spending as much time in prayer as you are in complaining? That's not rhetorical. It says... Pray for those who abuse you and use you. How you doing? Again, this is not an excuse for bad behavior, particularly for us as believers. It's not a, you know, get out of jail free card. None of us have that privilege and right to do that. What instead we're supposed to is bear down the scripture. And then he says in that same sermon, you're the salt and you're the light. And this world will not know who I am if it isn't for you. How you doing? When you roll up to the gas pump, do the people on the other side hear you mummering about the gas prices? I'm just asking. Now, do I appreciate higher gas prices? No, I do not. Because that cuts into our operating budget. But at the same time, I'm accountable to God as we all are in how we walk this life out with what comes at us and is coming at us. And rather than taking the time to get to the Word of God and say, what does it say here, God? What are you saying to us? How are you, Holy Spirit, wanting to reveal your Word to us in these circumstances, in this situation? How do you want me to respond so that my world, those who know me, whether it's those who know me through physical contact or those who know me through my media, um, social media network, whatever the case may be, how do they know that you are God supreme, holy, righteous, just, and sovereign? How do they know you? If there's an area of your life, whatever that may be, and I didn't try to name them all today, that wasn't my objective. But there's an area of your life that you know you have allowed the enemy an advantage. 
Maybe you're sitting there and you're just beating yourself up because you have messed up so bad. We've all messed up. This morning I was praying. I said, God, the fact that you have put up with me for 50 years is amazing. But you show the grace and the mercy and the love you do. I am overwhelmingly grateful that you do that for me. And it isn't like I'm going out doing a bunch of dumb stuff. It's just my heart and my mind and my attitude that's part of who God made me to be. But I want it to be what he wants it to be and expressed according to his will and purpose and for his glory. Some of this comes back to us not realizing who we are in Christ. Again, this diagram may not work for you. It, it works for me, okay? But I look at that diagram and say, in Christ, it's all the fullness. It's the fullness of measure of God in me. And that's why I can read Peter's letter where it says that he has given me everything for life and godliness. I'm not missing anything. Not one thing. I may not be living it, but his provision is complete. Knowing who I am in Christ, knowing who the person of the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the Trinity who works in me. I heard something this week. You may not think it's funny. I thought it was a little humorous. This one author said, the Holy Spirit has to be the most bored person or member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is probably the most bored person of the Trinity. And here's why. Here he is wanting to do all this stuff in the lives of God's children. And we're saying no. We're not letting him have his place. We're not letting him do the things that Father God wants to be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That would be every day, all day. And we come to him. And when he says there's something in our hands or something in our heart that's not of him, we are so quick to get rid of it because that's the very last thing. And here's, here's kind of a little gauge. When your focus is primary, primarily about you, go back to the scripture where it says he is a jealous God. And he wants to have his total access to the spirit That he put in you at your very conception. His plans for us are way better than we can think. Because he knows things. Some of the guys were talking earlier in the cafe. Just thinking about how God has played out his plan in their lives. Even when they were not aware. But only as they look back they could see how the things connected. And how things fit into place. And how it worked out and, and where their lives are now and, and really living out the glory of God. And that's true for all of us. But I, I really believe today we have people here who have no clue what it means to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And you guys know I am not the evangelist. But I do know this. Jesus Christ died for your sins just like he died for mine. And the Holy Spirit of God will draw you to him if you will just simply allow him the privilege to do so. So I'm going to pray if you'll all stand. 
We're going to close the service. And we have uh, some guys and girls down front that if you need prayer, please come. Let us pray with you. Like I say, our service is over, but we're here to minister. We're not running out the door. We're here to minister. We have folks all across here who are more than willing to pray with you and pray for you. So, God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the amazement of your word and how your word is so applicable to our lives and our circumstances and the events that we face. And thank you, God, that we can truly, truly understand all that you have for us, that we can appreciate how blessed we are and how you've given to us so freely and so abundantly. In fact, Jesus, you said, I came to give life and give it abundantly. And so for those of us who are here in Christ today, thank you that we would truly step into that abundant life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.